So we'd like to welcome Dr. David Fleming and thank him for, for coming. Um, I'd say a lot of you will probably know him, but he's a senior lecturer in history at the University of Limerick. Um, and his research interests include early modern Ireland, history of localities, political, social and cultural history of 18th century Ireland. Um, he was commissioned in 2012 to write a history of the University of Limerick. And he recently published a brilliantly researched book titled Edmund Sexton Perry, The Politics of Virtue and Intrigue in 18th Century Ireland. So that has only recently been, been launched. So tonight he's going to talk to us about Edmund Sexton Perry, the man behind the Limerick to Killaloo, or the building of the Limerick um, to Killaloo Canal. And he was a, a prominent I suppose, businessman and politician in 18th century Ireland. So thank you very much, David. Thank you. Thank you, Arlene. Thank Going to, it's not often I can stand in front of a pulpit, so I'm taking the opportunity. Uh, I, 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 I'm going, not going to go up there, but this one will do fine. Uh, I, I am used to speaking in a cathedral. Uh, St. Mary's Cathedral uh, provided me with an opportunity <laughs> at some stage. So uh, I've, I've, I've told um, Deborah and Darlene that uh, I've now decided to speak at every Irish cathedral that I can that I can get. The weather I think is appropriate because we are talking about water tonight and the weather comes comes into the story. Um, it's, uh, this is a question for you, a white elephant question mark, because you have to decide, and we might even do a show of hands, uh, whether the Limerick to Killaloo Canal was a white elephant or not, or whether it was worth all the hassle that I will tell you about. Um, before I start, I should say that I'm delighted to see um, people involved in the Certificate in Local History up in Portumna, at the workhouse in Portumna. See them down there, Christy. Um, uh, and I'd like to promote that. We're, we're running uh, the Certificate in Local History, so all of you here are interested in history. If you would like to take that next step, into, into more detailed research, um, I would recommend that program. It's starting next week up in the workhouse in Portumna. And for those of you who are deeply immersed already in, the, in history, which I suspect many of you are, then we also have an MA program in the university, the MA in local history. And I see two of my students are right here, so talk to them rather than talk to me um, if you're interested in that because they'll give you a real sense. But anyway, what I'm here to talk about is is this, a, a white elephant, what is a white elephant? Um, a, according to the dictionary, a possession that is useless or troublesome, especially one that is expensive to maintain or difficult to dispose of. So that's our working definition, is that okay? A possession that is useless or troublesome, especially one that is expensive to maintain or difficult to dispose of. And um, uh, 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 I'm suggesting that the canal might be one of those, the Limerick to Killaloo Canal. And this, what I'm going to talk about this evening, comes out of the book that uh, Arlene mentioned on Edmund Sexton Perry, because uh, Edmund Sexton Perry, I'll show you a picture of him later, uh, was one of the chief promoters of this particular scheme, um, amongst others, but he was amongst the main man, uh, the main men to, pr to promote this. Uh, in the 18th century. Uh, before I get into it, I, you know, why, why build a canal at all? Um, why the 18th century? Well, 
canals and rivers across Europe were the highways of, uh, of the country, of every country. They were far easier, often uh, cheaper, um, more convenient to travel on than most roads. The roads in Ireland at the beginning of the 18th century were muddy, uh, limited, um, hard, very narrow, very narrow in most cases. Um, so if you have a herd of cows going up a road and behind you you have some fella trying to get corn up to Limerick, down to Limerick or uh, up to Nina, you might be, you might be disturbed or, or you might be held up with all the other traffic that might be on that road. And it's not surprising that in the 18th century, the main, the first toll roads, the properly built roads, the forerunners to our motorways are established. Um, they're told, like, they're, like the motorways are told today, in order, to, uh, in order to maintain them. But nevertheless, it was the rivers that uh, were thought to be the principal and best form of communication. Um, if rivers were not possible to, to navigate on, then make them navigable. That was the mantra in both Britain and Ireland and in Europe. The Dutch, uh, in particular, were very good uh, for canals, but also the French. They were all at it. Um, and people, when they visited uh, Europe, could see the advantages. Um, essentially, ease of communication. There were plans from as early as the 1630s, the 1630s, to make the River Shannon navigable um, from Limerick to, Dub uh, uh, to Dublin. So there were at that stage uh, ideas at least um, to link Dublin, link the East with the West. Uh, never happened in the 1630s. The 17th century was a very difficult period uh, for, for any sort of economic development because of the political disturbances and the wars that happened uh, in the mid-century and at the end of the century. It is no surprise then that in the 18th century, which is a period of stability and a period of peace between the 1690s and the 1790s at least, and a period of economic prosperity that canals and other uh, projects um, new towns even, are proposed and being built because the country is wealthy and there is stability. Now, uh, there are problems. There were problems with the Shannon. You think Shannon, greatest river in these islands, the longest river at least, um, but nevertheless quite shallow in certain places, quite flat. Uh, in in several places, impassable for the types of boats or barges that were anticipated, that were normal for normal uh, canal transport or, or river transport. Um, these, well, this is, I should have showed you this, this is oh, just outside the door here, um, where the library is now, it's an old postcard. Um, this, this is what I'm going, this is the end of the canal, uh, the, the bridge there. Um, but this is, the, the river here at Killaloo is part of the problem. Uh, it's the last hindrance that had to be overcome. And I'll come back to that. Well, I'll come back to it now. Here it is, the river just outside that window. And you can, this is before the hydroelectric works at Ardna Crusha in Partine. 
Um, and you can see there, can you, that there is ripples in the water and there are stones. And I think uh, if you went out there today, you'll see the river uh, going quite close to the top of that wall there. I think the wall is still there. Um, so you can see how the hydroelectric dam affected levels here at Killaloo. The, the, the problem for uh, uh, navigate, navigating this is you can't get a boat over that. So the lake is inaccessible from the Limerick side. Uh, the other problem were that there were falls at Dunas, amongst them Castle Connell as well. Good for fishing and the like, but terrible if you want to get a boat across these falls. And at Limerick City itself, the Curragower Falls, as they are called, uh, just, uh, just near the castle there, lots of rocks. When the tide drops, you'll see those rocks. No ships, no boats can get past those at low tide. So even, even at Limerick, you had problems. Um, so the Shannon was not navigable from Limerick to, uh, from Limerick to Killaloo, and various stages up along uh, the river, it wasn't navigable either. Another problem, and I realized, by the way, I should have said, uh, that you probably heard a paper here before from Brian Goggin. Would I be right in saying that? The late Brian Goggin. Um, who was an expert on this canal and other canals, and he probably has, has uh, explained all of these things. I hope later on to, to give you some further insights, uh, that the, the more the politics around it, I suppose. But he might have said um, there was a rise of 100 feet between Limerick and Killaloo. You wouldn't think it, would you? Um, uh, so for, if, you're, if you're making a canal, you have to somehow get from zero to 100 in terms of that height. And that requires various locks um, to bring you up and bring you down. At Killaloo itself, it descended 21 feet in the space of a mile. And that's a challenge for canals. It means you have to have, I think they built, I think three or four locks. Um, we'll check it, I have a map later, uh, to, in order to, to overcome that height difference. And besides, besides the rocks, it, is, it was quite shallow in various places. So in the dry summer, in the dry summers that they used to have in the 18th century, uh, that, was, that was also a problem. So that's the geography and the topography out of the way. Uh, let's get into the, the question, a white elephant question mark. And what I would like to uh, tell you about or talk, to, talk about this evening are the efforts to build this canal, the length of time it took, the amount of money it took, um, and then ultimately, uh, was it worth it in terms of the economic prosperity that it was anticipated? It all started not in Limerick, not in Killaloo, but in Galway. The grand jury of County Galway, which of course is on the River Shannon, um, in 1697, sent a petition to the uh, House of Commons in Ireland, in Dublin. Um, parliaments were, from the 1690s, a regular feature 
Uh, right up to this day, you can trace our parliamentary history from the 1690s upwards. A regular parliament began to sit. And so you get all these appeals for various improvements uh, coming to parliament. In any event, 1697, the Galway Grand Jury petitioned the parliament calling for the Shannon to be made navigable from Leitrim to Limerick. And it was estimated to cost, they estimated the cost, and this is the first of the set of figures that I'm going to give you, uh, £14,000. Um, today, that is about 2.3 million. Okay? £14,000, about 2.3 million euro. Um, there's the House of Commons, House of Parliament in, in Dublin, right beside Trinity College. The Commons met uh, in 1697 to consider this. Uh, they met again in 1703 to consider it, and again in 1709 to consider it. And they all said it was a great idea, but very little happened. Um, everybody agreed that it was worth pursuing. The idea was that boats uh, of 20 tons could leave the quay at Limerick, travel up and down to Carrigan Shannon, um, and therefore bring goods up and down. That was the initial idea. Uh, Limerick being the major seaport, major port of export for the West, much better than Galway, at the, uh, even at this early stage. Um, and the idea was that you could export your beef and your butter and all the other things that the countryside was producing. It was only in 1715 that an act of parliament is passed. You won't be able to see that, but it was, only able, it was only in 1715 that an act of parliament is passed to get action on the, on the thing. And the act, the act says, it's interesting to hear their thinking, whereas the great tracts of bogs and fenny waste grounds, which encumber the midland parts of this kingdom, are not only lost, and useless to the owners, unpassable and inaccessible in themselves, but a bar and hindrance to the inland comers of the habitable remainder, a retreat and harbour of malefactors, used to be the case, not sure if it was then, but anyway, and, and on occasion of corrupt air. Now that might be a surprise to you. We all might want to live beside a river today, or a, um, but there is a belief, there was a belief in, in this period that bogs and marshy ground uh, gave off bad air and that you could become sick. And that would be one of the reasons why you'd get a cold, for example, or a flu. Um, it's an old fashioned idea and debunked in the 18th century ultimately. But anyway, the politicians are happy to use it as a reason for passing this act. Um, and, 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 and it goes on in that vein, justifying why they would uh, establish commissioners, local commissioners, anybody who was interested in promoting this, landowners, um, to come uh, to in, uh, invest, to put in the time to create the canal. This is 1715. Um, even the idea, even the name of the canal linking and it wasn't just the Shannon at this stage, it was the whole country, this piece of legislation to facilitate canals um, was anticipated. And the canal, the canal to link Dublin to the Shannon was already given a name, the Grand Canal, the Big Canal, the Substantial Canal. Um, 
but nothing happened. It had, the Act had been left to members of Parliament and others to take the initiative. The Act, the piece of legislation, didn't oblige the government or Dublin Castle to take the initiative. It left it in the hands of landowners and others who were interested. And we have to remember that the 18th century administration in Dublin Castle was tiny. The government was tiny. The government didn't involve itself really much at all. It promoted various things. It passed legislation to do with crime and all of that. But it didn't get involved as we would know today in terms of, of our government. Um, they provided no money. It was, it was thought that if you leave it in the hands of the commissioners, you, uh, and they will make money ultimately through tolls. They build it, you put the boats on, and you charge a toll. And that's the way you're going to get your money back. Um, private landowners might sell uh, uh, that portion of the, of the ground uh, uh, to, to cut the canal, and the landowner therefore would be compensated. So nothing happened. Um, mostly because there was no interest. In any event, the economy in the first half of the 18th century was stagnant um, and perhaps even depressed. The 1720s, uh, in particular, was a period of depression. Um, so realizing capital, uh, stimulating that work wasn't there. And I think they realized that after that 1715 act was a failure. Um, because in, the, in 1721 they passed a new act which put a tax on certain commodities to raise money for the commissioners, the uh, commissioners of inland navigation they were called, um, to see if they could provide investment. But nothing was done. The only progress that was made was in the north of Ireland. A canal linking Loch Ney to Newry and onto the sea was completed, and also a small stretch at Coal Island. There was coal up there at Coal Island, and it was thought, build the canal to the, to the mines, and you get the, coal, get, the canal, get the coal into the Irish Sea and down to Dublin. It was very logical. Um, and in, in that particular case, those canals were, bent, were built. They were not as, there weren't the same problems that the Shannon had. And it was only in the 1750s. By the way, the idea, the idea was promoted here, there, and everywhere. These are just pamphlets that were published uh, from the 1720s, 1740s, 1740s. They're only a tiny selection. There's a lot more of those advocating. So there was a big lobby, a big lobby group eager to see a canal built or cut. Um, and ultimately, it's only in the 1750s that new legislation is passed and work starts. In 1755, work began on the Shannon. A year later, the canal that we know as the Grand Canal from, from Dublin to Banagher was started. Uh, in 1759, the River Barrow and the River Boyne navigation commenced. Why the 1750s? Ireland entered into a period of significant economic growth from the 1750s. You'll notice many of the big houses in this area and right across the country were built mostly in the second half of the 18th century. That is because our, the, the agricultural produce, more than anything else, uh, was driving the Irish economy. Beef 
butter, pork, exported in enormous quantities to Britain to fuel the industrial cities as they were emerging, the Industrial Revolution, and also the growing empire. Uh, Irish butter and beef probably fed the slaves, the enslaved people in the Caribbean. Um, and even though that journey took a long time to get from ports like Limerick, Dublin, Cork, Cork is one of the biggest exporters of this. Even for, even for this hinterland here, um, they salted, it was this very salted meat, beef, in barrels. That's how it lasted the journey. And that then is, is fed uh, to the laboring classes and the slaves in various parts of the Caribbean. Um, and it's the canal, the canals and the rivers are to facilitate this growth. And hence, the whole proposals are dug out, the dust taken off those reports, a new generation of politicians are getting excited, uh, including the man that, I, that I'm interested in, Edmund Sexton Perry, um, and there's a great optimism, a great enthusiasm and optimism. The optimism was unbounded, everything was possible. Anything was possible. And now we have the money to make it possible. Might remind us of the Celtic Tiger years, maybe. Um, but, but it was even greater, I think, that sense of optimism, that sense of modernity that the 18th century was all about, right across Europe. It was estimated that the Grand Canal, the canal linking Dublin to Shannon, uh, would cost 23,000 pounds. So it had gone up. Um, but it was thought that it would encourage tillage, particularly the growing of corn, and also timber production. That the Midlands were prime areas to grow woods um, uh, and timber, and that these were now needed. Uh, Ireland then, as now, was short of timber. A lot of the timber had been used up in the 17th century, um, and uh, it was felt that timber could even be exported, particularly to Britain. In any event, that's one of the reasons. And they, uh, what, uh, they took advantage of uh, the surpluses that were accruing. And clever politicians, such as Edmund Sexton Perry. Edmund Sexton Perry was born in 1719. Um, he, was, he owned land. Uh, his family had an, a small estate uh, at Stackpool Court near Enna, County Clare. Uh, I don't think he was born in County Clare, so the Clare, Clare people can't claim him just yet, but he certainly owned property there. He was very friendly with the Purdens up here in Tinnerana, um, but Limerick City was where he was born. Uh, he becomes an MP, in, in, he buys his seat in the 1750s, and ultimately gets elected uh, in, for Limerick in 1761 in that general election. Uh, You'll be familiar with Perry Square in Limerick, and you'll be familiar with Limerick City Centre. Well, that was his estate. He owned that estate, and he developed what you see today. Uh, it's from the 1760s that all those Georgian buildings in Limerick City are built. He is the ground landlord, and he leases various plots to developers uh, in order to build the houses, and they then ultimately rent those houses and make back the money. That's the idea. Um, 
That was only one of his projects. The canal was, was his other one. And it is him, it is Perry, who drives this canal. Um, this, the Limerick to Killaloo stretch was initiated with a grant of £8,000 from Parliament. Um, 8000 a significant sum of money. Uh, we, we could say under, maybe under a million today. Um, and that's just to initiate it. It wasn't going to be the entire cost. Um, uh, we told you about the problems, about the topographical problems. Uh, and he started between 1757 and 1758, a great first step had been made. Oh yeah, there is the, the, there is the this is a map showing the canal. The yellow is the canal. Um, and you see it's actually three canals. Uh, you have a tiny little bit at Limerick. And I'll show you a, a map of Limerick shortly. That's only about a mile. That's still there. The more substantial canal leaves the University of Limerick, Plassey, uh, goes up close to Clonlara, uh, and, and then comes out, the Erina Canal, I think it's called, uh, and joins the river. Then you travel up the river past O'Brien's Bridge. O'Brien's Bridge becomes a major problem, becomes very dangerous, and people die. Some of boat crews die there in particular conditions. And then you get to the Killaloo stretch, and there are problems there at Killaloo as well. As we know, we've seen the, the shallows, uh, uh, but you have to get into the deep water, as they called it, just above Killaloo, just above here. So uh, three, three separate canals are what we're talking about, and they start with the Limerick one. And that one mile is a complete success. It's, it's achieved very quickly. This is the city of Limerick in, in the 1750s, this map. It's effectively the medieval city. It's surrounded by walls. Um, you see the River Shannon. Uh, you'll maybe see King John's Castle. Uh, and you'll see the King's Island, uh, the way the river, the river Shannon forms an island. That island, that stretch of water is impassable. And so what is proposed is to build a canal at Balls Bridge in Limerick, that middle point between uh, the, 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 the two parts of the city, the English town and the Irish town, build it straight up, bypassing the Corrigar Falls, uh, bypassing other shallows, and reconnecting uh, further up. And that's about a mile, and that's where the 8,000 was first done. Um, it, was not, it wasn't difficult, it was difficult enough. The area was a complete bog, and it, it's been built over now, but you can still see a lot of water right beside the canal today in certain parts. It's been drained a great deal, but they had to somehow figure out how to cut through a bog and hold the water. And they managed that reasonably okay. Um, in 1759, Perry looked for more money to finish it. £4,000. He got £4,000. Some of you might be doing the calculations already, adding up your, your sums of money. Uh, but largely it had been completed, that canal stretch. This is a map of Limerick in 1769, and it was, it was in full flow, if you'll excuse the, the pun, even though there isn't much flow in a canal. Uh, uh, it, was, it was completed. 
Um, and this is what it looks like in the 1820s. Uh, a nice long stretch of water. You were facing the city now, St. Mary's Cathedral there on the highest point. Uh, the canal bank on both sides. I think one bank is higher than the other. You can see there's a meadow here with some cows in it on the right, but I think there might have been water on the other side of that. So you have to keep that water out. Um, that one mile, as I said, was successful. The remaining 11 miles, it's probably a little bit less than 11 miles, but the remaining 11 miles to Killaloo was far more challenging. Um, but Perry and his friends, the merchants of Limerick, the farmers and the landowners up as far as here, all believed that it could be done by spending a further 19,949 pounds, one shilling and nine pence. How they managed to calculate it exactly, I have no idea, um, but let's call it around 20,000 uh, pounds. And that's, as I said, that's probably upwards of three million euro for the 11 miles to be, to be done. And uh, the money continued to come. By 1761, work had started on the next phase from Plassey to Rebogue, but was not finished. Um, in the meantime, Perry was promoting uh, 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 facilities within the city. So he wanted to transform the medieval city into a thriving modern city with all the facilities that you could expect. New quays were built, roads widened, bridges built, a load of parliamentary money comes into Limerick. Um, that's partly why he is unanimously elected uh, MP for the city in 1761, because some people believe he has a direct line to the Treasury and that whatever Mr. Perry asks for, he'll get. Um, the truth is that nearly everybody uh, who had influence was getting money to do their pet projects. Um, there's that grid, his new city, then planned and ultimately achieved. That was one of his great successes. Um, there is a, a contempor an almost contemporary map of where the, 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 the uh, canal at Limerick meets the river. And very quickly, anticipating profits and the business that will come. I mean, if you've achieved uh, one mile in, in a year, then surely in 10 years, it'll all work out. And they even probably thought it would, it would have been built uh, earlier than 10 years. So anticipating business, anticipating profits, they begin partly speculating. They build uh, uh, big storehouses and mills right at the mouth of the canal, um, flour mills constructed. Who by? By the engineer who was building the canal, so it was a little bit of a private investment. Um, Perry's chief man, a Limerick man called Edward Uzzled, and he used the water of the canal to power his mill, one of the largest structures uh, then built. Uh, you can see it, you can actually see it there. Uh, it's a one, two, three, four, it could be a five or six story building, now not there anymore. Uh, but there were problems. Get ready for the problems. Competing routes 
and contending, contending, contending interests of landowners through whose land the canal would be cut, stalled work in the early 1760s. Having obtained less than half of what Perry had wanted in the parliamentary session of 1763-4, uh, he asked for a further £3,000 um, and that was granted, but uh, not, certainly not enough to complete the job. Uh, in, in 1767, Perry decides uh, to go over to England with his friend, uh, a, a fellow MP, uh, to look at the canals in England, to see what could be learned. And he visits the, the, the man who is credited with uh, establishing the best canals in England, the Duke of Bridgewater. I always think the Duke of Bridgewater is such an appropriate name for a person who's involved in, in canals, the Duke of Bridgewater. Um, so they went over and they had a look and they brought back ideas. Um, but whatever it was, what, 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 whether it was the obstructions of local landowners or the lack of money, um, a decision was made to go around the legislation, to forget about the commissioners of inland navigation and to set up a private company of investors. The idea was invest, get private people investing in the canal, the canal will finish its work and those private investors will get a dividend. It's your typical, you know, um, stock market um, um, public listing. Um, but this was new in Ireland, these new companies. And sure enough, in, in, at the end of the 1760s, uh, a new comp a company was established. Um, it, uh, an act of parliament was required to transfer what was essentially public property and would become public property into the hands of private individuals. Uh, that company required, or required its investors to invest £10,000. Um, Perry and his brother. His brother becomes Dean of Killaloo in the 1770s, so was probably standing where I'm standing, maybe over there, uh, or certainly somewhere sitting here, um, and living over there, uh, uh, he invested money, uh, 500 pounds each. The merchants of Limerick invest. Uh, Perry's brother-in-law invests. It, he, he tries to keep it in the family as much as possible, but they all want, they all feel that money is to be made, and so this is a sure bet. A sure bet, they, they all think. Um, 25 of them invest. There are 25 initial investors. They invest between 250 is the smallest and 1,000 pounds is the, is, is the largest. Um, and at that point, this is 1767, let's say, at that point they say, thank you for the money. The canal will be finished in 1772, done and dusted, and then we'll start making money. Um, but in June 1770, Perry claimed to have done everything in his power uh, to get the canal completed. He could not entirely overcome obstructions from a single obstinate landowner I have a feeling, it's, the landowner is not named, but I have a feeling it was um, the Masseys of Dunas, but that would be only a guess. 
Um, he couldn't overcome, and you only need one person to hold it up, because it's private property and property is sac uh, sacrosanct, and there's no, there, is, it, there is no compulsory purchase orders in this period. So you have to have cooperation of the landowners. There were other problems. One of the major difficulties was how to deal with the River Blackwater. The River Blackwater, it's hard to see there now, but the River Blackwater flows, I think you, people here will know better than me, but it flows into the Shannon at Plassey. And uh, it's, it's branched in, it branches in two parts, or did, there's Plassey, uh, there's the River Blackwater, and it branches into two, so it, it, it emptied into the Shannon in two places. This is the canal, that straight line of the canal. Problem was, how do you get a canal to go over or under or through a river? That's difficult. And uh, Perry, and this was this, there were, there are, were solutions and were examples of this. Uh, Perry suggested an aqueduct, build an aqueduct, a bridge over, a, a water bridge over the river. And then he said, you'd have a tumbling bay, a lovely phrase, a tumbling bay where the water just comes down and locks. And I don't pretend uh, to know what any of these technical terms are, but it sounds good, doesn't it? A tumbling bay. And it suggests that he had some certain knowledge. Perhaps he had got, learned something from the Duke of Bridgewater. Um, but this is part of the problem. You have amateurs like Perry trying to figure out very difficult engineering issues. They propose it, it's partly built, and then it doesn't work. Uh, uh, in any event, the, the, these were the problems in the, 17, in the 1760s. Um, what they ultimately do, and what I only realized the other day by comparing this map, this is a map from 1778. It's Taylor and Skinner's Maps of the Roads of Ireland, which some of you will be familiar with. Um, and it lists all the landowners, and you'll see Massey. That's why I suspect Massey might be a problem. Massey at Dunas is right over the canal, and I know he's a problem because I've seen his correspondence about certain things. Uh, uh, Look at this map and, and see where the two branches of the Blackwater River uh, are, are emptying into the Shannon. And then this is the Ordnance Survey map of about 50 years later. And you'll see, it's very hard to see this. Let me see if I can actually see it. You'll see that there's now only one branch of the river, Blackwater. And it's, this is it here, and it's emptying at Plassey. This uh, line, this road, I think, uh, uh, is the course of the old river. So they, divert, they stop the river and divert it. And that takes, so at some point, that first solution about building an aqueduct is uh, stopped, failed, and they decide, right, let's stop the river. That costs money. That costs a lot of money. And it causes other problems. In any event, the company's undertakers, this new company would be called the, the, the uh, what would it be called? The Limerick um, Navigation Company, I think I have it there somewhere. The Limerick Navigation Company. Uh, they remain optimistic and they even consider, oh, let's design a little barge that would be suitable. And uh, let's think about what tolls we'll begin to charge because they want their money back. They, they've invested. Nevertheless, questions were being asked 
about the enormous sums already spent, not just on unfinished canals here in Killaloo, but across the country. Um, one critic in the newspapers uh, in, uh, in the 1770s estimated that 39,000 pounds had been spent on the Limerick to Killaloo Canal alone, far more than that original estimate of 14,000 pounds, um, that, and worst of all, besides the navigation commissioners who should have took responsibility for it, he named various engineers who he lambasted and said were no way qualified to put anything anywhere, and then, and then attacked Perry. Didn't use his name, but used the phrase, the Limerick Saxon, the Limerick Saxon. And that's a play on Perry's middle name, Sexton. Um, and he said, for his selfish application of public property, public money. And as it turned out, whoever that critic was, and he was anonymous, uh, uh, there'd be some truth in everything that he said. As the canal works proceeded, efforts were being made elsewhere to remedy other problems at the Limerick, uh, the Limerick Keys. Vessels from Limerick could not, uh, could not anchor permanently at the Keys in Limerick because at low tide, the river uh, went down and the, and the boats became stranded. So in 1770, a Clare man, Sir Lucius O'Brien, of Dromoland, and there's no county, um, there's no county rivalry. Uh, a Clare man is as much invested in, in Limerick City as any Limerick person is because that is the major port and that's how he anticipates money will be made. In 1770, Sir Lucius O'Brien, with Perry's a reluctant support, um, uh, in, uh, proposed a lottery scheme. Some local organisations proposed lottery schemes to raise money. It's nothing new. Well, Sir Lucius proposed a lottery scheme uh, uh, to raise money to build a wet dock to effectively raise the river so that, uh, raise a wall in the river so that a portion of the river near the Keys would always remain, uh, have a sufficient amount of water for, for, for boats to, to dock. The Keys and the canal were intimately linked and hence uh, you had to sort out one issue if the rest were to be resolved as well. Um, uh, the he got the corporation in Limerick to support it, so a petition went to Parliament. Uh, no contractor wanted to do the work. None. They knew it was barmy what was being proposed. Um, nevertheless, the, the Parliament, um, supported by the Lord Lieutenant in Dublin, uh, recommended that it should be done. Uh, money was made available, £1,500, um, and work sort of got underway. And I was looking at a picture today of archaeology of when they drained the Abbey River in Limerick, uh, when they dammed the two sides of it, drained the Abbey River, and they found the foundations of what was this attempt to build a wet dock. Now, why wasn't it successful? Politics, the local, local interests felt it was, it was invading their rights. So the corporation themselves ultimately said, well, you can't actually build it there. That's our property. And it never was built. It was built ultimately in the 19th century and, and uh, fixed up then uh, in, it was at the early part of this century when, when the, the level was controlled. Um, 
The construction of the canal continued throughout the 1770s. Perry relied on his brother, the dean, here to chair meetings of the company. So it's no, well, uh, clergymen chairing, chairing meetings was, was nothing extraordinary in that. Uh, and they reported progress, but slow progress. Um, various engineers and contractors came and went but ultimately frustration grew. In April 1783, the citizens of Limerick met and the corporation met and complained about the company to Parliament that they had said it would be completed by 1778. It's now 1783, nothing was done and that something should be done. The directors of the company were invited to attend that meeting and they wisely chose not to attend, uh, um, and uh, they petitioned Parliament. So it was beginning to become an embarrassment for the, for the company, for Perry, for others. In November, worse, worse was to happen. In November 1783, floods on the River Shannon. Mother Nature strikes, destroyed locks, parts of the banks. So that little bit of work that has been done has now been compromised, requiring more money to fix. In a petition to Parliament, the company admitted that several mistakes had been made in the design, routing and construction of the canal, all of which required expensive remedial works, but pleaded for parliamentary support, indicating that they had invested several thousand pounds themselves of their own money. Little seems to have been forthcoming. I think Parliament was wising up. Um, they petitioned again in 1785 uh, uh, when there was a new drive to get the canal finished. You can almost imagine the slogans. At that time, the Commons resolved that a new company should take over, that the old company were probably compromised. Yes, they had invested money, they should receive some compensation, but maybe new people were required. Um, that did not happen. Um, one newspaper correspondent in 1786 believed that the project had succumbed to what he called languor, ignorance, and corruption. And there was certainly a little bit of corruption because the aforesaid Charles Massey, who was dean of St. Mary's Cathedral and whose land the canal was going through, wrote a little letter to Sir Lucius O'Brien in Drumoland and said, and I'm paraphrasing this, but you can imagine it, um, you know, Sir Lucius, not all that money that was voted last year was spent. Um, uh, I have a need to build a church. And sure, it's for the public's benefit. Um, so perhaps, you know, you could provide, you could send that money my way and I'll sort it out. That's written, it's there, and it is an example, unfortunately, of, and that was corruption. Even by their own standards, that was corruption. If, it, if, if Sir Lucius uh, 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 accepted it. Then, suddenly, on the 21st of November, 1786, Perry's uh, nephew, man here on the right, there's Perry himself on the left, Perry's nephew, the son of the bishop, of the dean, ultimately would become Bishop of Limerick, Edmund Henry Perry, took the chair of the Limerick Navigation Company and announced that as the other undertakers were not willing to advance any more money to complete the canal, he, his uncle, Lord Perry at this stage, his father-in-law, 
Sir Henry Hartstone, Hugh Dillon Massey, who had inherited Dunas, planned to sell their shares um, for as much as they could get. They wouldn't ever get the amount they would have invested in it. Um, and this would signal the end. The canal project would not, would not continue without these major shareholders. It was a threat. It was a threat to the others who had invested to get more money out of them. It was probably a threat to Parliament to, to uh, get, because public money is involved, to get further money. And sure enough, three months later, the corporation petitions Parliament. I think they were all in it together um, to get more money. But Parliament did nothing. No more money was forthcoming. In December, December 1787, flooding again destroy part of the works, adding to the general pessimism surrounding the project. Um, separately, another act of Parliament disbanded the the, the in, the, all of the commissioners of inland navigation. So it wasn't just the Killaloo Canal that was proving problematic. Um, and vested it in the hands of local commissioners. It was thought, go back to local commissioners, that might work. It probably didn't work. Um, uh, these people, the Perrys, wanted new legislation, wanted a new company, and Parliament wasn't buying that either. Uh, let's go back to the money briefly. In January 1788, the company's investors claimed to have spent 14,543 pounds, four shillings and tuppence of public money, and 8,520 pounds, four shillings and tuppence, of their own money uh, without receiving a dividend. There were no boats going up and down this canal. They claimed that the canal was in, as they put it, great forwardness, even if their unnamed English engineer indicated that it would cost a further, let's call it 12,000 pounds to finish. In desperation, the undertakers informed Parliament that they were willing to give up the company if necessary. Now, that's quite extreme. They were willing to give up the company if necessary as long as they received some sort of compensation from the government. Um, and it was agreed to dissolve the company, but, but no new company was created. The government did not pass any legislation to do it. Uh, a new engineer came in called William Chapman, and he estimated that actually it would cost 25,000 pounds to complete. And so you have all of these estimates coming in. Um, and, and some were trying to underestimate so that they would get the job. Others were being realistic um, and probably were still very conservative. Uh, the 1790s, similar story. Uh, Flooding, damage, works being done, rebuilding, various locks were found just crumbling already. Uh, the la this last lock here was built in the 1790s, but it was 40 years since the lock in Limerick had been built, for example. On the 6th of February 1795, the company complained that winter floods had again damaged the works and indicated that 13, nearly 14,000 was now needed. And in an effort to raise the money, they advertised the lease of the tolls to in perpetuity to any party who, that might complete the works. They had no money. Parliament wasn't providing any money. And so this was their final option. The works were completed uh, in 1797 at last. 
Perry was 77 years old by then. It had taken 42 years since the first sod had been turned. And even then, it must have not given any of those people involved, including himself, much satisfaction because the canal was only navigable in winter. For when water levels dropped in dry weather, boats could not pass through the numerous sandy shoals and the company was still seeking support from Parliament in 1800 and would continue to seek support well into the 19th century. Um, despite continuing optimism from some quarters, the canal did not attract the expected business. It did, it did in those first couple of years, 1797 on, produce an income, but that income never covered the salaries of the lock keepers, the superintendents, the maintenance works that were, 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 were um, being charged. Um, and if anything, Perry, I suspect, would have been embarrassed by it all. And as I said, it's a similar story of unrealized ambition for the much longer canal linking Dublin to Shannon. And that was to complete the story. That would only ultimately be completed in 1803. So around about the same time. And yes, boats were able to go from, in wet weather, from Limerick to Dublin. Um, uh, in the 19th century. Uh, but there were major problems, uh, uh, major problems with the, the state of the construction works, uh, major problems at O'Brien's Bridge where the current under the river caused significant difficulty. The towpaths weren't designed to take horses, in fact. They were designed, the barges had sometimes to be pulled by people, by the crew themselves. Um, so there were major difficulties. All of these were pointed out. Major uh, works were continued into the 19th century. And it was really only the man up there, John Grantham, um, buried somewhere here, uh, he introduces steamboats. And that does transform the certain problems. No longer oars and, 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 uh, and pulling and so on. How much money, and I'm nearly finished, I am finished. How much public money had been spent between 1730 and 1800? Now, this is the total amount spent on canals in Ireland. £1,357,382, that's in contemporary terms, of public money had been spent, let alone the private investment. That would amount in today's money to one, over €1 billion euro, um, into canals. Did the canals ever produce the coming of the railways, of course, was a major uh, point of, of competition for them. Um, uh, that, was, that was a problem. Uh, was it a white elephant? Was it a white elephant? Was it, was it, where's my first page with the definition? Uh, something, uh, 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 here it is a possession that is useless or troublesome, especially one that is expensive to maintain or difficult to dispose of. Happily, the canal is still with us. Uh, well, a lot of it. The Killaloo section of the canal has mostly disappeared because of the flooding of the, of the Shannon in the 1920s. But if you very carefully go to Google Maps, and look at the look at south of Killaloo from Killaloo and look at the flooded portion, you'll see a very faint dark line, and that is the canal. 
and then it disappears into the rest of the water. Um, uh, that's the canal as built, and you can see all the locks that were there. Uh, and that's, of course, here, just outside the door. Um, uh, I think it was a white elephant. I'm not sure anybody beginning that project with, if they had known the trouble, the time, and the cost it would have taken. And ultimately, the, failed, the, the, the anticipated rewards that it that they thought it would bring. Anybody drinking a pint of Guinness in Limerick, of course, would say it was definitely necessary because that Guinness was brought down and, and was much better than the way Guinness is brought today. But that, th those weren't the, um, um, the objectives of people like Perry. They thought millions could be made from this. They thought that farmers would be enriched, that, that, uh, that produce could be brought up and down this, uh, navigable canal all the way to Dublin and back to Limerick and so on. Um, for the most part, it was turf. Turf was a big, uh, a big commodity being brought down. You can see lots of 19th century paintings of Limerick and you'll see these great turf boats unloading. Um, but it's up to you to decide if it's a white elephant or not. Thank you. Thank you, David. That was really, really interesting. Does, it, does anyone have any questions? I'm sure you do. Sorry, I put out of the way. I, I have one question, um, David. The whole canal system, you know, the double the Grand Canal, is that a white elephant also? That was more successful, I think, ultimately, um, in terms of revenue it produced anyway. Okay. And, and the other, this is a bit of a controversial point. The other advantage to the Dublin Canal was that it brought water from the Shannon. It's still kind of controversial today because Dublin are still looking for, for water. But it actually brought drinking water to the city and there was a shortage of drinking water in the 18th century. And so it emptied into uh, a, a basin which and ultimately fed the pipes. So, so there were other benefits rather than economic. But economically, I think that and there were, even though a lot of money was also spent on that, 11 miles of a canal, a you know, compared to the Grand Canal, I don't know how long the Grand Canal is, maybe somebody here does, but it's much longer. But the canal was used up to the last century mm. in bringing Guinness down and all yeah. it, it did. It did ultimately... It did ultimately serve a purpose and there were passengers. I mean, the 19th century, it was used and, yeah. and goods and all sorts of things. Slate, I mean, the other slate from Killaloo Slate, on the other side from the Tipperary side, that, that was, the canal was used for, to bring that up to Dublin and down to Limerick. Um, so it was used, yeah. but I don't think the amount of business that was expected ever transpired. And then of course you had the new technology. Roads were improving as well, roads and the railways. And that put an end to it. Ultimately, anyway. But it is beautiful. We love our canal, don't we? So. Yes, it was. It has, it has still some purpose. So per Perry might be, able to <laughs> might be able to take some consolation. But they lost an awful lot of money. These private investors yeah. never saw an income. No. Uh, their sons or their grandsons, if they still had shares, but the, that company would event eventually be dissolved as well. Yeah. So I'm not sure they saw much money out of no. it. Did Purden invest as well? But I'd have to look that yeah. up. I'd have to look. There were 25 of them. Huh. And a lot of them were merchants in the city. And it was mostly Limerick. Some did well out of it, like the guy that built the mill. 
on the yes. top of the Limerick ones. Yeah. So there were some opportunists there. There were, there were plenty of yeah. opportunities. And yeah. it, it, later on, you get mills dotted right along. So there were mills at Plassey um, and mills further up and here as well, ultimately, um, to avail of the, of the water power. Bleach, bleaching house, was that, mm. is that part of it? Or I'm not it sure, but I, I suspect. Yeah. It's what fitted the young capabilities to say. Some, you see, the, even the engineers weren't there because engineers, as, as a profession, hadn't quite developed. They were gifted individuals who, were, who, who knew certain things about uh, uh, water and how it worked and how locks work and how all of that. But, but some of them didn't know. You know, there was no formal training. Uh, for, for engineers, um, so some of it, some of it was intelligent guesswork that this would solve a problem, or that, you know, a lot of them were English, um, some of them were English, some of them were Irish, uh, some of them had never experienced the type of bogs that had to be cut through, um, and so they made mistakes. They made a lot of mistakes, and uh, a lot of a lot of money was literally wasted. Um, uh, and you get con constant reports talking about this sort of waste. Uh, but in terms of their knowledge, like, some engineers were, were gifted. Um, a lot of them were, were, had been trained in the army. Um, they they realised that some, some, of, some of the works had been dug to a certain level, that it was too shallow, that it had to go further, but that they had stopped because of the, the particular layer of rock so they were knowledgeable in geology, some of them, and knew, how, knew what to do. The others probably thought, oh, we'll get away with it maybe, or it's not, it's not so much of a problem. So it's almost sometimes trial and error. In some cases, we don't know the names of the people, maybe intentionally that they didn't want to give them out. Some of them only spend a year or two here and get so frustrated. There's major, major problems sometimes when, when workmen, laborers, this is all, all done by hand, uh, uh, decide that they want an increase in wages and they down tools. That's quite common. Uh, and um, so, so you get it from, and when they're, if they get better money from, from farmers who want them to cut wheat or whatever they're cutting, oats, uh, they'll go there. So they down tools. <laughs> um, so you have, you have problems like that. You have all sorts of problems. Like, I suspect this is where the late Brian Goggin came into his own because he knew all of the technical problems uh, and, and all those reports. But uh, I'll give you one, one example here at Killaloo, which was pointed out in 1800 by, by a report uh, by an engineer who was subsequently got the job to fix the problem. That's another part of <laughs> how things worked. He pointed out that the canal here just stopped short of the lock there at the library, we'll call it just short, uh, he said, to allow boats to actually get into the deep water. Could you believe it? They brought it so far and within throwing distance, had they just extended another little bit, the boats would have got over whatever obstruction was there. And he said, well, in order for this to work, you have to build up. And that's what you see today. Uh, that uh, it's covered now, it's a little walkway now, but there's a wall underneath that walkway. 
beyond the library going up into Loch Derg. And that just keeps the level of water, now of course the levels are all messed up today, but uh, that keeps the level of water up. Uh, that picture, you can't really see it. It's further beyond that bridge. Um, but that was a simple, like any good, anybody, and he said, uh, these are intelligent men. And yet they've completely messed this up. So that's what, you're de that's what you were dealing with. <laughs> some, some people might argue nothing has changed, but I wouldn't argue that. I wouldn't argue that one. I know, and I looked up how much that was costing. Two billion, the children's hospital. But they will get it. It won't take 42 years, I hope. Yeah. So, we have any other questions? Yeah, but the Shannon, the Shannon oh, scheme sorry. didn't have a result of 1989. <laughs> yeah, that obviously disrupted things a lot. And that effectively ended, I think that effectively ended any major further further transport on the canal because the limerick well it solved one problem here in that it raised levels and so boats could go up and down um, but it did submerge this part of the canal if i go back there to to that last picture it it's it submerges that section 910 those locks there and um but interestingly the 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 head race for the dam at ardenacrusha roughly follows the line of the canal. And I think, I'm no expert, but I, I think it's because of topography and it must be, I, I suspect, it's, in, it's the best way to, to bring water. They must have realized that rather than any other direction. But you'll notice, and this is the proposed greenway that uh, we, we sometimes read about in the papers or hear about, the greenway to come from Plassey up to Killaloo and up to Scariff will run, is supposed to, it is proposed, run along the canal there um, on the banks of the, so the, the canal may have a future yet, but unfortunately not for its water. Most of it's dry now. Um, I would like to dispute your decision that it was a point. Oh good, here we go. Remember now that we're in a cathedral, so I'll tell you what, I'm one of the unfortunate barjons that find it impossible right now to take a barge down into Limerick City because the flows are too great. Right. And we would very much like to see the Arnia Canal back in operation because that, I believe, would bring a lot more boating traffic into Limerick City. You find very little traffic from the boats in Limerick and that's because the navigation is effectively unusable. But the Arnia Canal, if reopened, would provide that navigation for us. So can we suggest that um, we go looking for some money? <laughs> I, I, I think that's a great idea. I wouldn't, can, I wouldn't uh, argue at all with you. And we've seen how canals, and uh, you know more about this than I do, the, 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 the canals in the north of Ireland, how they've been semi-rejuvenated, haven't they? Because of the, um, the opening up and the greater availability of it. And, the peace dividend, the money that was made available at least. And I've been reading for the last 30 years um, about problems uh, that, that have been suggested for reasons for not reopening, because every now and again there, is, there are those proposals to remove the dams and to re rejuvenate, but nothing, I don't think anything has happened. But I think it would be lovely to see it brought back into use. 
see boats and barges on that stretch again. And kayakers. They, I think they did a job on the park. That, this section, I think, is called the Park Canal. Am I right in calling it the Park Canal, that, that first stretch, that one-mile stretch? Uh, they did, I remember them, I remember seeing them dredging it, and I remember put, seeing the new lock gates being put in there at the mouth. And I thought, great, must, something must be happening. Um, but, but there's a dam at this lock number two. I don't know what that uh, number two name is, but uh, there's, there's actually concrete blocks, isn't there, which prevents the flow of water. Um, and, and, and nothing can get up and down, down it. Perhaps there might be money available sometime to... And the will, I think you just need the will. Uh, and I know now, of course, that there are so many contending interests that you have the ESB and you have Waterways Ireland and you have others. So maybe there's somebody, the one good thing about the 18th century is that if you had a guy like Perry, he would bang heads together and he had that power and influence. Um, it's harder to do that today. And what about Balls Bridge, the problem there, coming and going under it? Yeah, today or then, you always had a problem with Balls Bridge, uh, even then. Balls Bridge, uh, do I, I don't know if I have any picture of that, but Balls Bridge uh, was a medieval bridge, and a bit like London Bridge, uh, houses were built on it, on both sides. So, so you, you had the bridge and then you had houses on both sides. Um, Perry, I think anticipating, you know, he had a vision. He knew that if the canal worked, you needed to get to the quays, and that Balls Bridge was a problem. He got an act of parliament passed to take down Balls Bridge, and only half of it was taken down. And the rest, the other half, with all the houses, were left right up to the 19th century. Or late, yeah, I have to, can't remember now, was it the late 18th century that, anyway, it was taken down and a new bridge built. And that even was problematic. And then they built another bridge, which was supposedly better able to take boats. But today, I know that it would be very difficult to get a boat under there, still at high tide at high tide, as it was at the time. And I, and I think uh, if the canal had been completed early and on time, they would have tackled, tackled Balls Bridge earlier as well. And that wet dock, they might have managed to, to, to get built as well. That was ultimately built in the 19th century. So any other questions? David, we have a, a little gift for you there. Oh, Lord. Nothing, nothing major. <laughs> Hopefully you go to Pontevecchio. <laughs> Very good. I like Pontevecchio. Oh, yeah. good. And I just want to, um, this is probably the last time we'll talk about this, because our next talk is going to be in the lakeside, and it's the Killaloo Sailing Club are hosting it. We're kind of co-hosting our league. We're not doing much anymore, yeah. put it that way. So we, well, we won't get a chance to talk to you, but we're... Um, we're in the middle of collecting images for the album issue two, so if anyone has anything of interest, they, they, it, it, will, it could be very interesting and you mightn't think it isn't. So just let us know, you can drop photos off to my house and I'll scan them or take photographs of them. And that would be great. So the next one is when the 12th of October, is it? Yes, yeah. in the Lakeside Ballroom. So thank you everyone for coming. We have a donation bu bucket at the bottom there. Any, the, our talks are free as you know, but if you want to donate something, everything we collect at the Cathedral Talks goes towards the Conservation and Development Fund at the Cathedral. So the bucket is there on top of the harmonium. Thank you.